The following episode is explicit and is intended for mature audiences. Listener and viewer discretion is advised. Hey everybody, it's Nathaniel Avila reporting from Dallas County and I'm here with Ruby the Poobie. How are you doing? The Snoobie. Okay. The Toobie. Okay. <laughs> How are you doing? I am doing well, aside from the fact that it's freezing outside. Yeah. Um, so I'm just trying to stay warm. Another storm hit Texas. Texas. Winter storm in February. Mm hmm. Just like last year. Yep. But I think right now I'm doing a lot better than I was last year. That's good. What about you, Ruby? Are you doing better? Um, no, I wasn't really affected last year. My lights only went out for like a few minutes, like 20 minutes or so in mm. the middle of the night. Um, so I didn't really have to deal with power outages. Um, so I was able to keep warm, but my mom, like I said earlier, she's still without power. She's been without power since 5 a.m. And they keep telling her that it's going to come back. It's going to come back and it never does. Yeah. I mean, that's not, that's all you can do because Texas refuses to join the national power grid. Yeah. It's, it's very sucky. And why is that Ruby? Why is what? Why do they refuse to join the national power grid? Because it costs them. It's going to cost them monies, and it's going to cause um, certain power companies here in Texas to lose money. I, I'm pretty. No, it's regulation. That was the big thing. They don't want government in our power, in our energy. Uh, that's one reason, but it really is because they don't want the big oil companies. I mean, energy companies. Oh snap! We're powering our our lights by oil again. <laughs> I didn't know that. Maybe we should go back to that. <laughs> Using like whale oil. Fix the freaking grid. Yeah. Whale oil. I'm pretty sure that's not a thing. It will go backwards. We'll be going backwards. We'll, we're going to be have to do like hunting whales for their oil. No don't want to do that yeah so yeah so what are we talking about today um so we this is our second part yeah of puerto rico's history mm -hmm. and we're gonna learn uh basically the rest of puerto rico's history and how that you know came united with the united states mm -hmm. their history became american history because they became a part of the United States and that's what we're going to talk about today right so yeah this is going to be our second part it's probably slightly going to be the last part that we do um so now yeah we're going to go into the United States rule Amer uh, the Spanish are out and the Americans are in yep yep so they supposedly came to save them right uh, I, uh, maybe. I don't remember. I Teach haven't. Them. <laughs> the American ways. What's the American ways? Yeah, I don't know. I'm waiting for you to tell us. All right. So, after the ratification of the Treaty of Paris in 1898, Puerto Rico came under military control of the United States of America. USA. 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 Come on, Ruby. USA. USA. It's like that flag almost. Yeah. So, this brought about significant changes. The name of the island was changed to Puerto Rico with an O instead of Puerto Rico. But it was changed back to Puerto Rico in 1932. And the currency was changed from the Amer Puerto Rican peso to the United States dollar. Oh yeah. So freedom of assembly, speech, press, and religion were decreed and an eight hour day for government employees was established. A public school system was begun in the, and the US Postal Service was extended to the island. The highway system was enlarged and bridges over the more important rivers were constructed. The government lottery was abolished, cockfighting was forbidden, but it was legalized again in 1932. So don't worry, you can still fight fight them chickens. Why would they re-legalize it? I don't know. Because it's fun, Ruby. It's cool. Out for the chickens. 
It's cool for the chickens. Don't worry, they like it. Okay. No, I don't know. <laughs> you speak chicken? I do speak chicken. <laughs> and a centralized health <laughs> public health service was established. So health conditions were poor at the time with the high rates of infant morality or mortality and numerous uh, end, uh, endemic cases. So the beginning of... Huh? Endemic cases, yeah. you said? Yeah. So the beginning of the military government also marked the creation of new political groups. <clears throat> the Republican Party and the American Federal Party were created, led by Jose Celso Barbosa and Luis Monoz Rivera, respectively. Both groups supported annexation by the United States as a solution to the colonial situation. The island's Creole sugar planters, who had suffered from declining prices, hoped that U.S. rule would help them gain access to the North American market. Disaster struck in August 1899 when two hurricanes ravaged the island. The 1899 San Seriaco hurricane in August 8th and an unnamed hurricane on August 22nd. Approximately 3,400 people died in the floods and thousands were left without shelter, food, or work. Mm. Now, the effects of the economy were devastating. Millions of dollars were lost due to the de destruction of the, of the majority of the sugar and coffee plantations. Afterwards, nearly 5,000 Puerto, Rico, Puerto Ricans migrated to Hawaii by 1910 to work in the sugar plantations oh. of Hawaii. Oh wow! So we had some Puerto Ricans migrate to Hawaii. Cool. So we're so they went closer to the volcanoes. Yeah, they said let's go away from the hurricanes and go towards the tornadoes. Yep. Oh, <laughs> volcanoes. What did you say? <laughs> we have the tornadoes. Uh, yeah, and if your ruby's around you, it's called a bornado. <laughs> well, that was a good one. So, the military government of Puerto Rico was short-lived. It was disbanded in April 2nd, 1900, when the U.S. Congress enacted the Foraker Act, sponsored by Senator Joseph B. Foraker. This act established a civil government and free commerce between the island and the United States. The structure of the insular government included a governor appointed by the President of the United States, an executive council, uh, which is an equivalent of a Senate and the legislator with legislature with 35 members, though the executive veto required a two thirds vote to override. The first appointed local civil governor, Charles Halpert, Herbert Allen, was inaugurated on May 1st, 1900. On June 5th, President William McKinley appointed an executive council, which included five Puerto Rican members and six U.S. members. The act also established the creation of a judicial system headed by the Supreme Court of Puerto Rico and allowed Puerto Rico to send a resident commissioner as a representative to Congress. Now, the Puerto Rican Department of Education was subsequently formed, headed by Martin Grove Brombog, later the governor of Pennsylvania. Teaching was conducted entirely in English with Spanish treated as a special subject. Now, both languages, however, were official on the island. On November 6th, the first election, elections under the Foraker Act were held, and on December 3rd, the first legislative assembly took office. On March 14th, 1901, Frederico de Gatao took office as the first resident commissioner from Puerto Rico in Washington, D.C. So it sounds like things are going pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, American rule. Yeah. At least being more, um, I feel like they're being more involved in policy making than they have been before at any point in time, right? They yeah. actually got people in Congress representing them, so. Yeah, USA, USA, USA. Come on, Ruby, USA, USA, USA. Why aren't you saying it with me? USA. USA. No, you gotta say it too. <laughs> I only say USA whenever there's a soccer match going on. Okay. <laughs> so 
So the American program included building up a modern economic infrastructure uh, that included roads, ports, electric power systems, telephones, and telegraph lines, as well as hospitals and programs to develop agriculture. Sugar mill owners between the period of 1898 and 1945 turned their sugar mills into the monocultural plantations in response to the economy of the 20th century. The sugar mills and tobacco, cigar, tobacco, cigar and cigarette factories gained the United States attention due to their fast uh, productions and large productions of pr- large amount of produce. Women and children were primary were the primary workers within these industries. Maybe I don't know. Puerto Rican trades, Puerto Rican trades went to the United States ninety five percent of the time. By 1914, the coffee production that was that once was steady failed. Okay, so the coffee industry is down. The coffee industry is down in Puerto Rico. Yep. And that's causing issues. Yeah, doesn't that make you sad, Ruby? In America, right? Because you said that 95% of their exports were going to America. Mm-hmm. Doesn't that make you sad? I think that made a lot of people sad. Yeah. Everybody loves coffee. Especially <laughs> Ruby, because she was like, I can't get my coffee. I anymore. need my coffee. <laughs> and also, women and children were the primary workers within it, so that's pretty, pretty good. Pretty, pretty progressive. With progressive? Because women get to, are working, women are working in the industry. Yeah, but not the children. Oh, That's yeah. That's labor. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Have you ever seen that TED talk about that kid who was like, I can't wait to work. <laughs> no. Check it out. It'll make you mad. <laughs> so, the sugar industry, though, rose along with the economy. Puerto Rican mill owners and French and Spanish residents took the United States corporal, corporate capital. The United States had four operations, were part of the United, uh, the United Sugar Refineries that were owned by Cuba and the Dominican Republic. In 1870, Congress made the tariff wall in order to domestic producers of sugar. This had an effect of putting sugar producers into bankruptcy. The United States acquired jurisdiction over Puerto Rico, where there was free trade between the two. Capital flowed into Puerto Rico with the effect of modernizing its sugar processing mills due to the United States' influence. So the United States had formed a tobacco trust that had basis rules for cigarettes, but Puerto Ricans had issues when it came to brand and local marketing. The Tobacco Trust controlled cigarettes and sugar production as well as controlled the tobacco leaf. Now, there was a fall of the industry due to the exports. So, how does that make you feel, Ruby Sama? Tobacco is bad for you anyways. Yeah, and then you like there, you light up a joint and you're like, let me inhale all that smoke. I don't smoke joints. Thank you very much. So during that, during the time when sugar was not doing well, the coffee in the late, in the late 1800s, what changed the coffee production started when the export production replaced the farming. You got that, Ruby? So people lost their land and properties. The amount of land disposal shrank, and the people hoped that all that. Uh, that Europe would take part in the trade of coffee, but they did not. Coffee makers were not happy with them being controlled by the United States. In 1933, most of the people worked as families instead of individuals, most likely due to 90% of the output due to them being poor. So the Europeans messed everything up again, Ruby. Yeah. Well... So basically, they were farming uh, coffee, right? Mm-hmm. Was that like the easiest and cheapest thing for them to farm since they were so poor? I guess. That and, and sugar. The Europeans were like, "We don't need your coffee. Africa makes coffee. We just get it from them." Oh, I think I thought I thought it was just like we like the tea. Oh, ho, 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 ho. 
nah, I'm pretty sure that they still, like, even though they like tea, I'm pretty sure they still wanted to get their money out of the whole coffee thing. Oh, okay. Uh, but so yeah. Not from Puerto Rico. They're like, no. Okay, is that your impression? <laughs> because we no longer rule you. Okay. We're still butt hurt in our feelings. Okay, that's the reason. <laughs> I don't know. So in 1899, the United States took over rich lands that influenced Puerto Rico's economy. That soon made Puerto Rico a state uh, that was more capitalized in operation. There was no limit to their in their trends to the United States. The sugar industry had experienced an ir- and irrigation payments. Uh, the taxes ho- uh, Hollander Act was taxing two percent of the royal property in 1901. This made the people very angry, and the people protested. The people were being able to were able to bring the tax down to one percent. But this was still forced landowners to sell their land. Mm. So, there's that. Now, Puerto Rico's agricultural economy was transformed into a sugar monoculture economy, supplemented by gardens for local consumption. American sugar companies had an advantage over the local sugar plantation owners. The local plantation owner could finance his operations only at local banks, banks which offered high interest rates compared to the low rates that American companies received from the commercial banks and Wall Street. This factor, plus the tariffs imposed, forced many of the local sugar plantation owners to go bankrupt or to sell their holdings the, to the more powerful sugar companies. Sugar was considered... Sounded more like America. How dare you? Sugar... Sugar was considered one of the few strategic commodities in which the United States was not fully self-sufficient. So, why are you so uh, why are you so mean to America? Why are they so mean? How I mean, are they being mean? People, these people already are poor, and then they're like, "Oh yeah, you can get loans out, but only the uh, to the at the banks that are gonna make you pay a high interest rate back." Like, what? I don't have that much money to begin with. That's why I'm asking for the loan. And then y'all are literally making me go to these banks that have high interest rates. And then the other businesses don't have to pay those high interest rates. Like, how is that fair? Okay, well, ba- well, in 1993, cockfighting, remember that? Cockfighting. Uh, was, legal- <laughs> was legalized again and became a booming industry for some families. So how does those words taste, Ruby? <laughs> I mean, they had to get it just however they could, obviously. <laughs> so the American issue with gangs and you know drug, drug, uh, you know, fucking, um, you know. Yeah, exactly. He's stroking like a sp- true poet. <laughs> <laughs> so the American administrators put great emphasis on developing moder- a modern school system. Now, English language instruction provoked fears of cultural genocide. Now, this effort generated resistance from teachers, parents, politicians, intellectuals, and others. Resistance to the imposition of English was part of a larger effort to resist invasion and colonization. So what do you think about that? I think they have PTSD from all the other countries who kept on trying to colonize them over and over and over again. Oh, okay. That seems pretty logical that they would think that. Mm-hmm. Now, the schools became an important er- uh, arena for cultural identity, as pr- promoted by the middle-class local teachers who rejected the idea of creating Hispanic Yankees speaking only English and instead sought to have an autonomous Puerto Rican culture that incorporated the best of modern pedagogy and learning. With respect to the island's Hispanic language and cultural traditions. Now, the U.S. officials underestimated the place of Spanish in Puerto Rican culture. By 1898, Spanish was firmly rooted into the population. Spanish was also one of the, one of the leading international languages through which Puerto Rico were in contact with the world. It was, a, it was the language in which culture was communicated. The level of opposition to the imposition of English, which <laughs> was such that it led to the failure of U.S. language policies in Puerto Rico. That's funny. I'm glad that they kept their language because 
it is how you say like the language that they speak is basically their culture because like I said they speak their own kind of like form of Spanish like they made that language their own and it's, it's Puerto Rican Spanish it's basically. Caribbean Spanish but yeah Caribbean Spanish so I'm glad that they that they kept that okay and then they also felt you know maybe that like they said they were gonna get their culture wiped out so I mean of course like that's kind of you know, rooted in that reason. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, well, so one shock came in 1935, however, when the New York study found Puerto Rican school children in New York City to be seriously deficient in basic skills. After 39 years of the imposition of English at the University of Puerto Rico, Spanish became the preferred language of instruction in 1942, and in the public schools, the vernacular of Puerto Ricans became the language of teaching and learning in 1940 to 1950. Yeah, that makes sense. So since they weren't, you know, wanting to learn English and the teachings were done in English, of course it was going to decline, right? Mm-hmm. Now... Yeah. Yeah, so an economically involving Puerto Rico called for the new advancement in political status. Powerful, innovative Puerto Rican leaders, including Luis Muñoz, Muñoz Rivera, José de Diego, Rosendo Matiezo uh, Cintrón, Manuel Zino Gandia, Luis Yerens Torres, Eugenio uh, Betines Castaño, and Pedro Fasecci contributed to the rise of multiple successful political parties. So, good job, Ruby. However, the birth of multiple political groups led to the diversion of the island's interest, uniting as a, uh, uniting as a statehood with the U.S. becoming a U.S. territory commonwealth or declaring independence altogether. So what do you think? Which one should they do? Independence, obviously. Why? because like, they've never ever gone to be independent. <laughs> they've never gone to stand on their own and make policies on their own and govern themselves. Mm -hmm. so, do you yeah. think they're gonna actually do it? No, we know they're not. <laughs> oh, dare you. oh, ye of little faith, Ruby. In this case, I can say I know the future because we are now in the future and Puerto Rico still is not independent, sadly. So, in 1900, the Federal Party was formed during the U.S. military rule of the island after the Spanish-American War. Now, it was formed by Luis Manuel uh, Rivera and other members of the Autonomous Party. <clears throat> the Federal Party favored immediate transformation of Puerto Rico into an organized, unincorporated territory and eventually joined U.S. statehood. Now, the Socialist Labor Party of Puerto Rico were founded by Santiago Iglesias Pantin. Over the time, the Socialist Labor Party of Puerto Rico was in favor of statehood with the was also in favor of statehood with the U.S. and the Federal Party campaigned for the assimilation into the United States and wanted to develop proposiously uh, 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 with their best interests under the new U.S. administration. They also wanted to fully integrate in integrate U.S. law and government. Now their plan was to become a territory and have representation through a delegate and eventually become a U.S. state with no restrictions. Uh, the Socialist Labor Party of Puerto Rico did not advocate for independence. Instead, party leader Santiago Iglesias Pantin advocated for statehood and in charge of in, and charge change in economic policies which were influenced by his practice in founding the federal, and uh, founding the uh, Re regional workers federation, and labor newspaper, uh, Asenio Obrero. Let me look up. Let me look up what that is in the English. In the English. In the English. So the Socialist Party didn't want to push for independence anymore. Nope. They just figured they'd be better off as another one of. The U.S. states. Mm-hmm. I guess because they thought they would get the same rights as the other states. Uh-huh. Okay. And labor newspaper, the worker essay. 
<laughs> the worker essay is what it's called. So the party was based on principles of the Socialist Labor Party of America and received much support from the American colonial authorities. After the dissolution of the federal party, Luis Manuel Rivera and Jose de Diego founded the Unionist Party of Puerto Rico in 1904. The Unionist Party of Puerto Rico aimed to secure the right of Puerto Rico to assert its own personality, either through statehood or independence. The beginning of uh, what is it? the Puerto Rican Independence Party was in 1909. Rosendo Metienzo Centron, Manuel Zeno Gandia, Luis Llorens Torres, Eugenio Benitez Castaño, and Pedro Fasecchi founded the party, which was the first political party whose agenda was independence of Puerto Rico. <laughs> That's the one I would have been on. Okay. Another change occurred during the year the party was founded. Now, the Olmsted Amendment changed the Foraker Act, which, uh, which was designed to switch the Puerto Rican government from a military one to a government ran by civilians. Instead, the Olmsted Act called for the government to be managed solely under the executive branch. So, the Puerto Rican status quo was again altered in 1909 when the Foraker Act, which replaced military rule with civilian government in Puerto Rico, was modified by the Olmsted Amendment. The, this amendment placed the supervision of Puerto, Rico, Puerto Rican affairs in the jurisdiction of an executive department designed by the President of the United States. In 1914, the first Puerto Rican officers, uh, Martin Travieso and Manuel V. Domenech, uh, were assigned to the executive cabinet. This allowed for native Puerto Ricans to hold a majority in the council, which consisted of five members selected by the president for the first time in history. A 1915 delegation from Puerto Rico, accompanied by the uh, governor, Arthur Yeager, traveled to Washington, D.C. to ask Congress to grant the island more autonomy. Luis Manuel Rivera became one of the founders of the Union Party in Puerto Rico, who was against the Foraker Act. Now, this delegation and speeches made by President Commissioner Manuel Rivera in Congress coupled with political and economic interests, led to drafting of the Jones-Shafroth Act of 1917. So... What was that act? Well, I'll tell you about that. So the Jones Act was made to replace the Foraker Act, which allowed for the free entry of Puerto Rican goods into the U.S. market. So the Jones Act was approved by the U.S. Congress on December 5th, 1916, and signed into law by the president Woodrow Wilson in March 2, 1917. Although it extended citizenship to Puerto Ricans, it wasn't always welcomed. Mm. Now, the uh, the Union Party, the Unionist Party, had opposed extend extension of U.S. citizenship in 1912 if it didn't make Puerto Rico a state. If they didn't become a state. U.S. citizenship would be interpreted as an attempt to block independence of the Puerto Ricans. For them, the promise of citizenship didn't affirm the promise of statehood. It excluded any considerations of independence. Yeah, they were kind of like, just just come and be a, a citizen. And we'll forget all about giving out more rights as a state. Okay. So the act made Puerto Rico an organized but unincorporated United States territory, much like a colony. Now, Puerto Ricans were also collectively given a restricted U.S. citizenship. This implied that Puerto Ricans residing in the island did not have full American citizenship rights, such as the right to vote for the President of the United States. As U.S. That's citizens... Kind of flawed. How, sad, how dare you, Ruby, question this? Explain yourself, Ruby. Because they're supposed to be a part of the United States, but yet they don't get the right to vote for who runs the United States. Yeah, and, Ruby, what's your point? <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, uh, as U.S. citizens... Conscription, 
could be extended to the island. A few months later, 20,000 Puerto Rican soldiers were sent to the United States Army during the First World War. The act also divided governmental powers into three branches, an executive appointed by the President of the United States, a legislative and judicial branch. The legislative branch was composed of the Senate, consisting of 19 chambers and a House of Representatives consisting of 39 members. Legislators were freely elected by the Puerto Rican people. A Bill of Rights, which established elections to be held every four years, was also created. So good job, Ruby. Now, though the act created a more structured government for the island, the United States Congress still held the right to veto or arm amend bills and laws passed by the territorial legislature. So, in addition to veto power, the United States could prevent the enforcing of actions taken by the legislature. Legislature. Now, the act stated that the President of the United States was to appoint members of the Puerto Rico's legislative branch as well as the directors of the six major governmental departments agriculture and labor, health, interior, and treasury, with the advice of Congress and the Attorney General and the Commissioner of Education. Now, the act also made English the official language of the Puerto Rican courts, governments, and public education systems. Again? Yeah. <laughs> Pretty cool, right, Ruby? Well, I mean, we've proven the, already that that's not going to work. Because the majority of them speak Spanish, and they don't want to learn English. So that's not how that's gonna work. But oh no! They're not even gonna get to know. Like they're not even gonna know what's going on in court, what's going on in school, like none of that. Mm. Unless they have like interpreters there at the court, but I know they don't have interpreters maybe at the school. I don't. Yeah. I don't know. But oh no! October eleventh, nineteen eighteen. <laughs> an earthquake occurred, Ruby, with an approximate magnitude of 7.3 on the Richter scale, accompanied Ooh. by a tsunami reaching 20 feet in height. Damn. Now, the epicenter was located northwest of Aguidilla in the Mona Passage between Puerto Rico and the Dominican Republic. Now, this earthquake caused great damage and loss of life at Mayaguez and lesser damage along the west coast. Tremors continued for several weeks. Approximately 116 casualties were reported resulting in the earthquake from the earthquake and 40 from the tsunami. Dang, that's so crazy. Mm -hmm. Now I have a picture of the aftermath of uh, the earthquake and tsunami right here. Ready to see it? Are you ready to see it, Ruby? Yep. We're ready. The class is ready. Okay, this is how it looked like. Um, I'm just zooming it up here. Okay, so it looks like a black and white photo of a building, like a big brick building. It looks like maybe like a factory or something where people used to work in. Kind of, I can't tell for sure, but it's like all caved in, like from the top, all caved in. Mm -hmm. um, and a little bit of the structures left standing, and then we have some Puerto Ricans right here. Um, they look like farmers, maybe, or maybe they're just cleaning up the aftermath, but yeah, it's a very, very sad sight. And I'm sure there was like various more Mm-hmm. So yeah, how did that make you feel, Ruby? Uh, no, it's just sad because you've I've heard you know several hurricanes and you know several incidents of Mother Nature hitting that island. Mm -hmm. So it's just like it's scary. <laughs> so some politicians were in favor of Puerto Rico becoming an unincorporated state in the U.S., while others wanted Puerto Rico to gain independence from the United States. We all know which one Ruby would vote for. Um, I-N-D-E-P-E-N. Okay. <laughs> Amid this debate, a nationalist group emerged that encouraged radical activism for Puerto Rico. 
to become the nat become independence from the United States. As a consequence of the Jones Act and the establishment of elections, the new party called the Puerto Rican Nationalist Party was founded on September 12, 1922. Now, this party used advocated massive demonstrations and protests against any political activity that was not going to result in Puerto Rico gaining independence. In 1924, Pedro Albizo Campos joined the party and later became uh, vice president in 1927. In 1930, Albizo was elected president. Being the president, he installed many, instilled many of the political ideologies into the party, which was in, composed heavily of anti-colonial politics and feelings of contempt against the United States. In the 1930s, the Nationalist Party led by President Pedro Albizo Campos failed to attract sufficient electoral support and withdrew from political participation. Increased conflict arose between their, between their adherents and the authorities. On October 2nd, 1935, Albizo testified against the dean of the University of Puerto Rico, claiming that he wanted to Americanize the institution. Four days later, a student assembly gathered and declared Albizo uh, persona non grata, which is a status sometimes applied to a host country to foreign diplomats to remove their protection by diplomatic immunity from arrest and other normal kinds of prosecution. Now, that for, which actually forbade him to speak there at the University of Puerto Rico. Now, Albizo was later arrested and convicted to, of conspiring to overthrow the American government. He was arrested for breaking the Smith Act of 1940, which declared that it, was against, that it was against the law for anyone to teach or be part of a group that encouraged to overthrow of, Amer of the American government. These are getting serious. Yeah. What do you think about that, Ruby? I think that, that uh, that's one example of someone who is a prominent figure actually getting sentenced because we don't often see that. <laughs> but he wanted, yeah, but he wanted independence for Puerto Rico. Um, yeah, and that's the reason why they did what they did. And really? That's, that's the only reason because it worked in their favor. <laughs> okay. But in October 23rd, 1935, a student assembly was planned to be held at the University of Puerto Rico, Rio Piedras campus. Its official asked Gover Governor Blanton Winship, to, or, oh, Blanton Winship, excuse me, to provide armed police officers to the campus to freestall possible violence. <laughs> Colonel Alicia Francis Riggs, the U.S. appointed police chief, commanded the forces a... Uh, now, a couple of police officers spotted what they believed to be a suspicious-looking automobile and asked the driver, Ramon S. Pagan, for his license. Now, Pagan was the secretary of the Nationalist Party at this time. He was accompanied in the car by his friends and other Nationalist Party members, Pedro Quinones and Eduardo, Eduardo Rodriguez. The police officers asked Pagan to slowly drive to the police station in Calle Azuaga. Yeah, Calle Azuaga, yeah. But a block, uh, but a block from the st uh, station, the police surrounded the vehicle and fired their guns into the car. Pagan, Quinones, <clears throat> and Rodriguez were not armed with weapons. Jose Santiago Barrea, another nationalist, was approaching the car when police began shooting. It resulted in the death of four nationalists and one bystander. Oh wow! Look at that. What 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 are you feeling right now, Ruby? It's, that's not right. Just because they had um, the agenda of gaining independence for their country, they got killed. Because that's not, dem that's not democratic at all. Because the car looks suspicious, Ruby. Yeah. The car looks I'm suspicious. Excited. Just like they say, all these other cars look suspicious. <laughs> now, in retaliation for the Rio Piedras massacre at the University of, Port of Rio Piedras, 
in, in, uh, on February 23, 1936, Nationalist Haram Rosado and Elias Balkamp killed Colonel E. Francis Riggs in San Juan. So, what do you think about that? Kind of expected. Really? So, it's okay to kill the person? I didn't say it was okay. So oh. that's kind of expected. I mean, okay. you're gonna you're gonna be enraged that they got away with killing all of those, you know, people in those parties, and mm. then, you know, they're they're gonna be angry and they're gonna want to retaliate. Mm. So they were taken into custody, where they were killed by policemen and officers while being held at the San Juan headquarters. What do you mean, see? Ooh, Ruby knows everything around here. No, I'm kidding. So, so Rosado and Bocam were declared heroes by the Nationalist Party president, Pedro Albizo Campos. Shortly after, the San Juan Federal Court had Albizo arrested for his incitement of disconduct. After initially being found innocent in a jury of, with seven Puerto Ricans and two North Americans. The judge ordered a new jury, which had ten North Americans and two Puerto Ricans, who found him guilty. Of course they did. Why, of course they did. Because they're ten North Americans and they were on the side of the judge that mm. wanted to prosecute this person. Yeah. What other reason would they want to change out the jury? Uh, which actually acquitted him. Mm. Now, on July 31st, 1936, Albizo and several other nationalists, such as Juan Antonio... Uh, Correter and Clemente Soto Velez were convicted of being associated with Riggs's murder. They were sentenced to six to ten years in federal prison in the United States. Now this was a big one. On March 21st, 1937, a peaceful march was organized by the Nationalist Party under Pedro Abizo Campos to commemorate the ending of slavery in Puerto Rico in 1873 by the governing Spanish National Assembly. The police, under the orders of General Blanton Winship, the U.S.-appointed colonial governor of Puerto Rico, opened fire at the peaceful Puerto Rican Nationalist Party parade, which is now known as the Ponce Massacre. Twenty unarmed people, including two policemen, were killed, with wounded persons ranging from 100 to 200. This occurred... That happened? They killed their own? They killed the police officers no. over there? <laughs> We're going to get into like how this happened. So this occurred because the head of the police force, Juana Diaz, Guillermo Sal Saldivia, raised a whip and struck the chest of Tomas Lopez de Victoria, the captain of the cadet corps, and told him to stop the march. As a result, a police officer, Armando Martinez, ran from the corner in front of the Nationalist Council and fired once into the air. This prompted many others to fire their arms. So why do you, what do you think about that? Uh, so because that one police officer shot up in the air, the other ones thought that they it was like shooting going on and they just all started shooting. Mm -hmm. So how did the police officers, the two police officers die? Do you really care, Ruby? I do, because it's like, did y'all shoot y'all own people? Or I guess. Maybe. Or Maybe it was friendly fire. <laughs> they got caught in the crossfire. Mm -hmm. Now, on July 25th, 1938, a little over a year after the Ponce Massacre, Governor Winship ordered a military parade to take place in the city of Ponce in celebration of the American invasion of Puerto Rico. That's something we're celebrating. Now, such celebrations customarily took place in San Juan, the capital of the colonial government. At the par now, at the parade, an attempt was made to assassinate Winship, allegedly by members of the Nationalist Party. Now, it was the first time in Puerto Rico's long history that an attempt had been made against a governor. Although Winship escaped unscathed, a total of 36 people were wounded, including a colonel in the National Guard and the Nationalist gunmen. So... Anything about that? They're mad. They are pissed off. Now, I have actually a photo of this massacre that happened in Ponce. So, ready to look at it? 
Is it, um, should we put a warning? Uh, sure. I can't really see because it's black and white, but I mean, it does look like there's several people um, marching in the street and the police officers are concerned who they are because they're uniformed. Mm -hmm. and I see people running, it looks like. They're all running. They're all kind of like scattering at this moment. Oh, yeah. So what do you, how does this make you feel, Ruby? Um, it makes me feel angry for them. Mm. They were being peaceful. They weren't disturbing anybody. weren't doing anything bad, and then they just end up getting fired upon. Yeah. Well, guess what, Ruby? I actually have video. Oh no! What? Really? Yeah, there is video of it. So. Let's see. You ready? You ready for the video? Yep. Are you sure? I'm sure. How sure are you? A hundred percent. Okay. So... So you can describe what you're seeing right now. People are running. Um, the cops are firing. Like literally, he's literally just like, like playing a video game. Mm. And that's wow. it. I can't. How did they get footage of that? That is so crazy. I'm sure there were cameras there. I know. It's just like. You don't you don't even think about stuff like that because it just it, it's so far back. <laughs> You're just like I can't believe I'm actually getting to see this in 1937. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty intense stuff, Ruby. What would you do if you were there, Ruby? I would be scared, just like it showed that one person at the beginning of the video. I mean, he was just like crouched down, just like didn't know what to do, just he was like terrified. The look on his face, terrified. Yeah. What do you think yeah, about the cops who were just like straight up like boom, boom? I know. It's just like okay. I don't know. Um, I, I don't really have to go into detail with that, but it's just like. What do you mean? Don't have to go into detail. This is the perfect place to get into detail. This is, we we do get. We need to get into detail here. Was, I mean, because there's no reason to go into detail. I mean, that's just wrong. Like, okay. Period. You can clearly tell that. You know, you just going after a crowd and shooting into, you know, the crowd at anybody that you see. Like, that's not okay. Mm -hmm. Something has to be wrong with your head for you to be able to do stuff like that. Yeah. So, yeah, that's where we'll end it for today. Um, it looks like we're going to go into three parts. Uh, so, what do you, so what do you think about everything we discussed today so far? under United States rule. I feel like since there are some parties who actually like want to stay under America's rule, like there is kind of a division among the people of Puerto Rico, you know, whether it be that there's many more who want independence and just a small percentage of them that want to stay under America, there's still a divide, right? Mm -hmm. And I feel like they feel that way because they actually do believe that conditions are better than they could be, whether, you know, than they could be of them being independent of themselves. Um, and that's just because they've had such a horrible, horrible uh, memory of being under the European role, you know? So they're like, hey, this is at least a little bit better, you know, being under American role. And it seems like their policies are fair, but then it goes down that same pattern again, where they're making the poor stay more poor and the rich stay rich mm. do you think things will get better as we go down um i feel like in the more modern years then i feel like there will be strides to actually be better 
but I can't say for sure that it's going to be um, any better than it would be if they were independent because mm -hmm. we'll just never know. Yeah. Sadly. Yeah. So next time we're going to talk about the establishment of the Commonwealth. We're going to talk about the statehood issue going on, and then we're going to talk about the various hurricanes and earthquakes that affected Puerto Rico. More uh, of them. More, mm -hmm. <laughs> more hurricanes, guys. Yep. It's a huge, huge thing in in the Caribbean. Yeah, uh, so I yeah. Move. I would feel so scared. I like that. That'd be like my main my main goal in life over there in Puerto Rico, like to leave because I'd be so scared yeah. getting hit by a hurricane. Well, don't live in Florida then, because <laughs> there's only two seasons in Florida. It's it's summer and hurricane season. Mm, pretty much. Mm -hmm. So yeah, and hurricane season I believe starts in, I think May, and it ends in like November. Don't tell me that we're supposed to go to Universal in May. Yeah, is you expect a lot of rain, Ruby? Expect a lot of rain. I don't know. We'll see. Why don't okay. you go in like uh in, in Halloween? That's when they do their Stranger Things thing. They don't have it anymore. They only had it that one time. Well, you should have came. You should have came I know, when I asked. I <laughs> Look, I disappeared. Oh, snap. You're like a ghost. <laughs> oh, snap. You're like a ghost, Ruby. All right. Yeah. I'm going to also, the next episode, if it's our last one, I'm going to mention some prominent figures um, of Puerto Rican descent. Not if I do it first. Well, that's why I'm telling you. <laughs> I'm going to do it You're first. You're doing a lot of the historical important figures. Okay. Know, definitely. Yeah. I'm going to do more of like, you know, Rita Moreno, Manuel Lynn Miranda. Yeah, Manuel Miranda Lynn guy. Lynn, Lynn Manuel Miranda. Yep. Yeah, that's the history of Puerto Rico part two during the original, the first part of the uh, United States rule. So we'll continue on that next time. I've been Nathaniel Avila. And I've been Ruby Rodriguez with Apple Pencil Calculator Binder Folder. And the pair. And pair and other pencil. <laughs> pair and other pencil? <laughs> okay. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to A Vision Podcast, home of Wacky Talkies, The Kingdom, Evil Exists, and many more.